Hello and welcome to The Outer Frame, the show where we talk about the movies that aren't talked about enough. I'm your host, Jason Sellers, and on this episode, we will be counting down our top 10 films of 2019. But first, let me introduce the person who is my number one ranked wife of the year, Caitlin Sellers. <laughs> Hello. And the person who is not on my list of to my top 10 wives of the year, Riley Mau Mau. You know, I can appreciate that, considering you did want to bring me inside a church once and be like, and this is my other wife now. Because <laughs> she's your number one second wife. Yeah! <laughs> I think that just Suck on you... that, the collective, Jace. <laughs> I think that just makes you a, a second place wife. <laughs> makes me a really good concubine is what it makes me. <laughs> don't diminish my title. I don't need you <laughs> shaming me. <laughs> Second rate. Wait, uh, so you would rather have the title of concubine than wife? Uh, than second place wife, yeah. <laughs> Historically, <laughs> the title of concubine—that's entirely is true. honorable. <laughs> yeah, you get slut shamed, but <laughs> I get everything else, so I'm okay, okay with it. Okay, Moving so <laughs> the last time that Donnie and I did this, it went on for like two and a half hours. Our goal is to not talk for two and a half hours this time. So, uh, just to recap, um, we'll just start and then we'll each do our, our, you know, our number 10 and then we'll keep going. And if there is a movie that's higher up on somebody else's list, we're going to pause and talk about it later. All right, let's get started. Riley, what was your number 10 movie of the year? Uh, my number 10 movie is actually the movie I think I saw first in 2019, which was How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Um, I, I really liked it as a wrap-up to the trilogy because I was, as all sequels, especially a second sequel in a franchise goes, typically they're not very good. I liked it. It was... Mm -hmm in my mind, written just as well as the other two. It wraps up the story very well, even though a lot of people kind of knew how it was going to end, myself included. I liked it. It was cute, heartfelt, made you cry. It's worth seeing. But it's definitely not one of my favorite movies. That's why it's ranked number 10. Oh my god, I totally agree. I loved that movie. It was so cute. And you're total. I agree with, like, your statement of it wrapped up the story. It didn't feel like three parts. It felt like a whole story that yes. they really broke up. Yes. And Lots of character development throughout three yes. movies for all of the characters, including the dragons, which was nice. Yeah. And then I agree that the wrap-up to it all was very complete. Yeah. It felt nice. They all get to go have little dragon jobs and little dragon families. And <laughs> little dragon babies, yeah. Form, form their yeah. own dragon government. Pretty much, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a... Have you watched the, uh... There's something on Netflix where it's, like, ten years later. And it's, like, a little short. Oh, I haven't yet, but I, I've heard about it. I need to do that. Or maybe it's on Disney. One of them. Yeah. Caitlin, what is your number ten movie of the year? So my number ten movie is Shazam. Woo! Shazam! I was... I mean, I was kind of excited for this movie when I saw the trailers, and it really lived up to my expectations, especially because I initially thought that Shazam was the movie with Shaquille O'Neal, who's a genie. 
And I was, like, really confused at first. I was like, oh, they're making a Shazam movie? Why? And then when I heard who was in it, I was even more confused. And then I saw the first trailer, and I was like, oh, this looks so much different. That is a completely 100% true story. When I told Caitlin that they were making a Shazam movie, she was very confused. Why is DC making it? Why would they do that again? And then when I told her it was a DC comic, she got even more confused. Because did you did you follow it up with? And he was also originally named Captain Marvel. <laughs> yes. Just to no. blow her damn mind, like <laughs> that came I, later. Yeah, it was pretty funny. But yeah, so I mean, from those expectations, yes, this movie was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but from my expectations, starting at when I saw the trailer. I just, like, thought it looked cute, and I was excited to see it, and then I watched it, and it really lived up to all my expectations, and then, um, I mean, I've already spoiled it on this show before, because we've talked, we've done an episode, uh, then when, like, all the little Shazams (laughs) come out, um, I didn't know anything about the comic, so it was just, like, a really fun experience, so that's why it's my number ten. I'm excited for the sequel, Mm -hmm. and the introduction of Black Adam. He's one of my favorite villains, anti-heroes, however you want to look at it. I really liked Shazam as well, and I think it's funny that DC finally cracked the code on how to make a good comic book movie. It's just copying Marvel. Yeah. I was gonna say, I think it, it ranks, like, it goes Wonder Woman's at the top, and then it, it's followed by Shazam. I'm almost positive. So, but yeah, it's, you add, you throw some humor in there, make it a little more lighthearted. Yep. It, it was a good intro for a superhero movie. In mm-hmm. DC's universe. I liked it a lot, too. I was a big fan of Shazam. Yeah. It's on my list, too, but obviously further up, so I'm not going to talk about it yet. <laughs> okay. Alright. Uh, my number ten was The Farewell, which I'm guessing is not on either of your lists. No. So, The Farewell, uh, which if you have not gotten the chance to see it, is really great and really sad, and um... <laughs> is in the in the current resurgence of kind of like Asian cinema um, this was certainly one of the more moving films that I've seen that delves into the conflict between culture and morality what the right thing to do is uh, the basic premise of the movie is that there's a the grandma is going to pass away, and the or, and she doesn't have that much time left. The rest of the family doesn't want to tell her because that's their culture. And the granddaughter, played by Aquafina, who is great, um, wants to tell her and is fighting with the rest of the family over it. And the only reason that this movie isn't higher up on my list is because at the end of the movie, they play footage, which I guess this is a spoiler, but they play footage of the actual grandma that the movie was based on and show that like she's still alive and hanging out and I was kind of bummed because I was like oh well this kind of takes away some of the dramatic weight from everything she's she didn't die (laughs) yeah from everything that we just watched like oh never mind then um but no there were some really great moments in it um the actress that plays the grandmother I don't remember her name but she was absolutely fantastic and the the way that she's <laughs> constantly harassing Aquafina for not being married and it's just it's great and it was um very very touching and I loved it so 
that was my number 10. I love Aquafina. I think she's amazing. I'm so excited. I, like, she's been in a bunch of movies lately that I've really liked. So I'm excited to see where she goes. She's won, she won the Golden Globe, I think. Did she? For, yeah, whichever awards were recently that weren't the Academy Awards, she won for The Farewell. So. She's really good in it. And the only things that I had seen her prior to this, um, beaten were comedies so it was fun to see her doing something dramatic and she was really really good in it yeah and then this year she was also in uh jumanji the next level mm. was ocean's mm. eight in 2018 i believe so okay and oh my gosh she is she's in it for like the last what quarter yeah of the movie and she just steals the show she is hilarious she gets she's uh, imitating danny devito in her imitation <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> yes i need to see this movie up. now fucking it's amazing. really good it's actually a very good sequel mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah no she's amazing <laughs> so funny all right that's my number 10 so riley your Number nine. I picked, uh, I'm just going to tell you all right now, spoilers, that most of my movies are kind of blockbustery movies for the most part, just because I didn't get a chance to see lesser known films. Shame. I know. <laughs> but my number nine is actually Men in Black International, which I don't okay. want to say it's a good movie by any means, because it's not really, but it's fun. Like, it's, it's a nice kind of new entry into the Men in Black series. I love... Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth acting together because obviously we saw it in Thor Ragnarok and then we get to see them outside of that setting in a new movie and I just I love it I think they play off of each other so well it yeah. made me laugh it's it's a men in black movie mm-hmm. um like I said it's not like the greatest movie ever which is why it's number nine for me but I laughed I thought it was good it was feel good and I like the men in black series yeah. as a whole was it like honorable to like the men in black. I thought so more than universe. like the one good men in black. I know. Movie. I was I mean, gonna the second say. One's okay. I was gonna say the first one's great. Second black. Second one is okay. It's yeah. it's a sequel. It the is. third one. No, I don't like to talk about it. No. So I don't know. <laughs> I thought it, it definitely could have been done better too, but at the same time, it was it was nice. It was it was better than the third one. That's it looks sure. like it was gonna be like a nice like modern yes like and that's the part to it yeah it's too. modernized it's new characters it's, i liked it same world yes cool yeah i absolutely despise men in black too because there's a character with balls on his chin i understand why i don't know ask the people that made men in black too all right so then why do you dislike that because it's stupid his name he's a ball chinian it's idiotic. Yeah. It's they, fucking stupid. They were literally going for the lowest form of comedy. Actually, it's second lowest form of comedy, right above fart jokes. The whole movie is yeah. not good at all. I hate that movie <laughs> so much. Especially just because, like, the first minute... Like, I, I've been rewatching the first Men in Black recently in the last couple of years, and it is such a good flick, and it's so much fun, and I can't believe they made a sequel that is so So bad! bad. And, like, they established having a new partner for Jay, right? Mm-hmm. And then it just gets thrown out the window. And I'm like, not again, not anything against Kay. He was great. But, like, why even set that up if you're just going to be like, oh, never mind. We're going back to the 
two dude bro formula. Like I was ex- like I no. remember seeing the first one for the first time and being like, oh, the next one will have the girl in it. That's gonna be no, no, nope. didn't happen. I know, and I really like Linda uh, Florentino. I think that's who it was. Yeah. Um, so I was really bummed that she wasn't in the second one. Yeah. Fun fact: um, in Men in Black, when they first like discover like the aliens, when the guy's like face opens, um, terrified me, and I slept on my parents' floor that night. I don't blame you. <laughs> there are really, really objectively creepy moments yes. in that movie for being like a feel-good comedy action movie. Vincent D'Onofrio is terrifying. Horrifying. Oh my gosh, he's so fantastic, so fantastic. I truly as a child believed that there was an alien there was in a bug. human skin. I was going to say that a bug crawled inside of him. Yes, and yes yeah. exactly. However, it was absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it, yeah. even now as an adult, it is terrifying. <laughs> but anyway, we've spent too long talking about this. Okay. Number nine. Caitlin. Wait, wait, wait. I have one more thing just to point out about the Men in Black movies. Alright. So, because the sequel, that means that not only is Lord Linda Florentino not jay's partner anymore but he's been erasing all of his partner's minds which means that she's back to working at the morgue yeah exactly (laughs) which which is even shittier like just all of the development and awesomeness that happened she just gets sent straight back Mm -hmm. and how inhumane to do that to other people just because you miss your old partner whatever the reason was and and there's also you know there's that sense of dramatic weight which once again i talked about with the farewell but like when jay has to erase k's mind and there's that great sense of like oh he's got to do this like and it actually means something and then the second one they're like nope just kidding he's fine yep yeah not i was not a fan of that which is part of why i also didn't like three because it was the same formula like going back in time Mm -hmm. so anyway like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies that should have stopped at one. Um, okay, so my number nine is something that I'm sure is much farther up on yours. Um, is Endgame. Oh, yeah. So we will put a pin in that and come back to it. Alright. My number nine, I'm pretty sure, is higher up on your list, and that is Us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I took a sneak peek at her list, and I was like, oh, I know exactly where that movie is for Caitlin. We can hold on to that. Put another pin in it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, moving on to number eight, then. (laughs) For me, it's actually a tie. Uh, Detective Pikachu slash Shazam for me. Oh, Um, sorry. That was up on your list, and we already talked about it. Uh... Dete- yeah, so I'll talk more about Detective Pikachu. Just it's this most of these movies that are further down for me. I really like them just because they were fun. Kind of well, this one wasn't necessarily an action flick, but as somebody who is a very very diehard Pokemon fan, like I like I was just telling Jason, I bought the new Pokemon game. I've played all of them, had a bunch of cards growing up. I really did like this movie because it was it was fun to see live action versions mm-hmm. of these Pokemon and in their kind of realistic shapes. Um, I was talking with some of my friends the other day that when you read Pokédex entries for some Pokemon, they're a lot smaller than the way they're presented, but in the movie, I think they have their more realistic size, which I really like. Um, I like how some of them are creepy, like Mr. Mime and Ghastly, the ghost types. But that's how they're supposed to be. Like, if they existed in the real world, they would be horrifying. Um, But while still at the same time retaining the childlike 
part of it, like, the fire types don't actively commit arson and char like charcoal people when they burn them like so it, so i really liked the movie just in the essence of being a very very big pokemon fan but it's yeah. not not one of my favorite movies of all time and why it didn't go further up the list is just because it is a kids movie it's a pokemon movie there's not a lot of substance to it i yeah. think considering um just <laughs> You know, lately we've talked, or Jason has talked about, um, how, like, video game movies haven't been translating oh, they, into, or video games haven't been translating into movies very well. Yeah. Um, I mean, a good example of this, I think came out this year, maybe last year, but, like, the Tomb Raider movie, like, didn't oh, do anything. right. Um, but, to be honest, like, the main storyline, I wasn't totally entranced with um however i think it's like the best pokemon movie that we could have gotten right now i agree and i think the cast was real especially with ryan reynolds literally yeah. playing pikachu like i think that did wonders for it mm -hmm. and i think the reason why i liked it as much as i did is because of the background details like the yeah. realisticness of the pokemon and like how they was, interacted I, with the setting but you're right yeah. in the story you're like it's nothing that you're like, wow, that was incredible. No, yeah. it's like I said, it's a Pokemon movie that involves real people. Right. It's also for kids. Yes. Like, so that was the other part. Like, okay, I can understand why it might be like a little simplistic. Right. Um, and, uh, oh, one thing that I heard before going into this movie was this interview with Ryan Reynolds where he was like, oh yeah, I was trying to like perfect my like 1920s like detective voice and I went into the recording studio with this whole plan of, like, what I was going to do. And I go in there, and I start doing it, and they're like, what are you doing? Yes, yeah. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm, like, being the detective. And they're like, no, just be Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> so he was, like, all prepared, and they were like, no, mm -mm. we don't want that. We want <laughs> cartoon Ryan Reynolds. It yes. was really funny. So I was really excited about that. And, I mean, I agree. I love Pokemon. I loved Pokemon, like, growing up. And the idea of living in a world where Pokemon existed would be, like, a dream come true. And it kind of felt that way. Yeah. Like, you really got immersed. Like, the detail in the background was fantastic. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It, it's a fun... Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun, fun movie. If you're, if you're a diehard Pokemon fan, it's worth seeing. Yes. All right. I'm up. It's up. all you. Number eight, right? Um, number eight. Um, so mine was the movie Family. <laughs> Is it on your list, Jason, at all? That was Siri. Um, <laughs> Chiming in with her number eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Family is... And a, a great little movie. Uh, it's about this woman who just is very self-centered and she works in the business world and she has no empathy. She doesn't like have a spouse or a family and she has no empathy for anyone who does and she's just like very driven and her estranged brother calls her up and is like, I need you to come and watch your niece while my wife and I leave to go um, handle something with her dying mother. 
Is this the one with Taylor Schilling in it? Yes! Okay, yeah. yes, yes, Okay, yes. you can continue now. I um, just needed to see it in my head. And she doesn't want to go, and then she gives in, and she goes, and her niece is just, like, awkward, and it's she's so authentic. Like, I just don't know how to explain her more perfectly, but the, her niece is just so herself, and she doesn't care about... Um, I mean, she cares about, like, what other kids think, like, you know, at that age of, like, what, 13? But she's just this, like, awkward little kid, and they get into a fight, and she runs away and um, goes to the gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> oh, because, my God. Because a boy that she became friends with at the nearby gas station is a Juggalo, so she started listening to it. And then Taylor Schilling, in her, like, business attire, has to run through the gathering of the Juggalos to try and find her niece. And... And it sounds crazy, but then, like, there's so much about, like, family and connection, and it, like, wraps up very nicely and kind of leaves it a little open-ended because it's not like, well, then she finds a husband and has a family of her own. It's just, no, life just continues, but now she has this bond. Mm -hmm. And it's... I can appreciate yeah. that more than being like, oh, she realized the value of family and now she... <laughs> no, like, I, I would rather have that authentic, like, and she bonded with this family member that she would normally never yeah. have, and now they have that forever. Yeah. Like, that's so much better. And she's, like, nicer to the people at work who, like, have families. Like, there's a a woman, a coworker who's pregnant, and she's like, not a bitch anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, family was great. It was a little hidden gem. Didn't yeah, get a lot of attention, but <clears throat> if you haven't seen it, it is delightful. Yeah. Where can you, do you know where you can watch it now? Because I haven't seen Redbox, but I want. Okay, well, we have one at my work, so I'm gonna have to look at that. Yeah, and maybe go get it tonight because it's, it's a dollar. Good. So, it's so good. I have so many friends, so I'm like, we have to watch this. Yeah. So, especially my best friend, who is a juggalette. <laughs> <laughs> that she is. She's, I mean, not really a practicing juggalo, but... <laughs> she's, she's so cool. Yep. <laughs> Alright, we're on number eight, right? Yes, sir. My number eight is Uncut Gems. I'm surprised it's so far down your list. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I'm just shocked. Uh, I... This, this movie is less of a film that you watch for narrative reasons. It's more of an experience because it's just like a straight heart attack. It is. Oh my goodness. It is an experience. <laughs> it is. And I, I think that if I had the chance to watch it again, because the trailer, to me at least, was very misleading. The trailer made it look like more of a mob movie. And the movie is very much just about uh, gambling and the horrors of trying to make it you know, out of your, um, like, financial class. And Adam Sandler is fantastic. Words that are rarely said. Uh, agreed. <laughs> as, okay, let me just interject really quick. Like, as somebody who I really am not a big fan of Adam Sandler. Like, his early movies were okay. That was the only reason that I watched him as a kid, but it was also because it was so childlike humor. Mm-hmm. Anything that was made in, like, the 2000s and 2010s, like, I just refuse to watch because... Have you seen Fifty First Dates? Okay, not that. I'm thinking more... <laughs> Everyone says that. Everyone's I'm like, thinking. Blah. I'm thinking more, I guess, 2010s. Maybe I shouldn't say 2000s. Yeah, like, like that's my boy. Yes, like, I, I'm like, I don't appreciate you anymore. Yeah. So it's... 
it's nice to hear that he, something he's in, and I think he he helped make it, didn't he? Uh, I don't believe so. Okay, I well, think he was I just in the cast. Yeah. This was done by the, the I think you say their name, the, the Safdie brothers, mm. who also did Good Time last year, which was fucking amazing. Also another experience. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely love both of their movies, and I cannot wait to see what they do next, because they are so great. Um, and one of the things that I... There's a lot of really great moments in this movie. Um, one of them that jumps out at me that I really enjoyed is basically the whole premise of the movie is Adam Sandler, or not the whole premise, but part of the a major part of the movie is Adam Sandler has all of these debts that he's juggling. And one of the things that he does is he lets uh, Kevin Garnett borrow this big-ass gem in exchange for his... Is it a Celtics ring? I mean, he leaves that as collateral. Yeah. He's going to come back with the gem. And then he doesn't come back with it, and Adam Sandler needs it so he can sell it, and he he goes with uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who kind of voiced, uh, you know, his support for letting Kevin Garnett take the gem, and then when they go to get it, um, Lakeith Stanfield like runs past security, which because he's on the list, and then Adam Sandler tries to follow him, and the security guys won't let him through, and he's he's like calling at Lakeith Stanfield like, "What are you doing? Come back!" And Lakeith Stanfield just like keeps walking, and like it's brutal. <laughs> it is like the oh that whole movie is just fantastic. The visual style is so much fun to watch. Um, the effects are really cool. Um, the editing is really great, like the frantic zipping around, and yeah, this movie is just a full-on heart attack. Also, Lakeith Stanfield has mostly done kind of comedic relief, uh, hero-type characters, and in this movie he's kind of a villain, and so it's kind of fun to see him be a bad guy. I agree. He does it really well. Mm -hmm. So, and he's another, you know, kind of newer, newer actor in like the after Sorry to Bother You. That was his breakout role, and Mm -hmm. so it's been fun to see him do something different. But yeah, that was my number eight, Uncut Gems. Nice. Like I said, I am honestly shocked it's this far down your list. Like I didn't expect it to be number one by any means, but like how much you've just been raving about it the last few weeks, I'm shocked it's not at least top five. So I'm that's exciting that's, to see what you have next. It just means that there's better movies out I, there. I that's, that's what I'm saying. Year. That's what I'm saying. Good year for film. It was. Alright, Riley, what do you got? Number uh, seven. for number seven, I picked everyone's favorite monster movie, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Um to preface this, I have been very excited about this expanded MonsterVerse since they released Godzilla back in 2014, mm-hmm. and I don't remember what movie I was seeing at the time, but I remember the trailer they played just distinctly for Godzilla, and like hearing the roar, like the new nuanced roar in 2014 cinema, and how it sounded, I was instantly hooked. I was like, that's it. I'm invested entirely. I don't even care if these movies are garbage. Like, I will see all of them. Um, Godzilla was not a great movie. I still liked it. But Godzilla King of the Monsters was so much better 
because it introduced all the other monster characters like uh, Mothra and I'm blanking on all the other names now. King Ghidorah, Rodan. Yes, exactly. Um, I loved how they looked, how they sounded, the destruction they caused because obviously they're gigantic monsters. Um, I love that it's going to be tied in with King Kong, which is amazing. Um, I love that Godzilla continues to be presented as this apathetic protector of humanity. Like, he doesn't really care all that much, but at the same time, he is the good guy, quote-unquote. And like I said, I'm a sucker for every time that he roars. Like, every time that he just stands in the middle of the city and just, like, destroys buildings with his voice. I'm like, I love it. Love it. So anyway, my number seven is Godzilla King of the Monsters for that reason. I'm just entirely invested in the new Godzilla story. And it's nice that it's revitalized in a modern era. My biggest issue with that movie, and this was the same problem I had with the 2014 Godzilla, it's the same problem I had with Pacific Rim, why do all the fight scenes have to take place at night? Oh, yeah. (laughs) In the dark. It's so you can see everything lit up. (laughs) I don't want to see everything lit up. No, I get what you're saying. It's 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 a stereotypical trope. Yeah, to I, either get them to glow, to use lighting effects, it's it is I absolutely just, stereotypical. I just want to see them smash stuff. I can't yeah. see that if it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> well, then they'd have to pay more people to animate in the light, Jason. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> so fire some of the actors. <laughs> I can't say I blame you for that. They don't need to be in the movie. I don't. It's called Godzilla. <laughs> the rest of he's, them can be Muppets for all I care. He, he's the only necessary character. Yeah. You don't even need a two-hour movie. No. No, I need a two-hour movie. I just need it to be Godzilla fighting stuff. Godzilla versus the Muppets. Yep. I'll take it. <laughs> Welcome to the expanded monster I mean, universe. That that movie would be about thirty seconds long. <laughs> I don't know. What if it was like a fifty-foot Elmo? <laughs> That would be haunting. That would be haunting, especially if his voice got deeper and... My name's Elmo! <laughs> that tickles! <laughs> As he, like, winds up to just bitch-slap Godzilla with his freaking God. <laughs> or, like, after Godzilla blasts him. He's got a big response... hole in him. It's enormous million-ton stuffing falling out of him. Well, uh, Riley and I have just now pitched you a movie. So, so whoever whoever wants to invest, whoever wants to fund it, uh, (laughs) you can contact us at the Outer Frame on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Wonderful. Godzilla versus Elmo. (laughs) Two. The Elmoing. (laughs) (laughs) See, we already have a franchise going. We just we got. It's an expanded universe. (laughs) The third one will be Kermit Strikes Back. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. And then the fourth one can be Revenge of Animal. <laughs> Caitlin? Okay, so oh, my on. number seven, moving right along, is um, one that I would kind of call a... Well, I don't... I guess this got like a lot of attention. Blinded by the Light. Mm. It's the... He, who does he... What, what's the music? Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. Your favorite you. singer. Okay, so for a very long time, <laughs> I told Jason that I don't like Bruce Springsteen. And it's really just that I don't like a, like his really popular song. Which one? Yeah, He's the got one. a lot. I'm sorry. 
uh, I don't know. What's the one you like? Born in the USA? I like that one. No, I don't. <laughs> I, I like uh, Born to Run. I like that one. I like Going Down. I don't know what that is. I like Glory Days. I liked that one. <laughs> well, now that we figured out what I like and what I don't like, let me tell you about the movie. Um, no, it's just about a kid who kind of like what you were saying about not like it's not about culture versus moral it's more like culture versus i don't know grow up like youth mm -hmm. you know he's trying to yeah i know what you mean because i i haven't seen the movie but i remember seeing the trailer mm -hmm. and it's it's like growing up as the next generation and obviously the it's a culture where the generation before you, it's expected that you just follow in their footsteps. Yeah. But it's at a time when that, like, across the world, that didn't happen. Right. And it was, a like, a big modern step in rock and roll mm -hmm. um, and in music that really kind of paved the way for this next generation coming up to not be the same as the one before them. Yeah. It's supposed to take place during the 80s. Yes. So it's very much, I mean, it takes place in Britain. But that whole mentality of, like, what we would call Reaganomics is what drives the the parents. And he's just like, I just want to listen to my music and, like, live my life. And um, he wants to, like, be an artist or, like, go away and do what he wants to. But it's set to, like, this musical background, and I'm a little bit of a sucker for a good musical. So, and I... Jason was excited to see... I wouldn't say excited. You were... I don't know. You We decided to go see this because you like Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. Wasn't sure. But it was kind of fun because as the songs played through the movie, I was like, oh, I know this song. I really like this. Or I know this song. I like this. And then having a movie that I also enjoyed the story kind of made me enjoy the music a lot more. But I, I still do, don't... I do like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> I'm a real girl now. I'm a real girl. Yeah, welcome to womanhood. <laughs> How's it been? Um, I still don't like Born in the USA, though. What? <laughs> I, so. I'm not going to. She's going to do it out of spite, if nothing else. Yes. Probably eventually. That's okay. Not gonna stop me from blasting it every Fourth of July. Mm. All that's day. why we don't spend Fourth of July together. USA. <laughs> All right. That's why we don't spend Fourth of July <laughs> together. Yep. Fun Kate. facts about the sellers, in case you were wondering. Caitlin moves out for the day. <laughs> yep. I'm gonna go find something else to do. Are you Bye. Still anywhere that they're not playing that song? <laughs> All right. So my number seven was or is Honey Boy. I'm guessing neither of you have seen. So, Honey Boy is a movie that Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf, LaBeouf. wrote um, and stars in. And he wrote it, and I think it becomes more interesting when you know the background behind it because it's about a child actor who if it jumps back and forth between him as an adult and him as a child actor. And as an adult, he's suffering from alcoholism, drug abuse, and he's in rehab, and while he's in rehab, he, as therapy, is told to write a screenplay about his youth. And so it cuts to his youth and him as a child star and blowing up really fast and not really feeling like he's being nurtured by his parents. Um, and Shia LaBeouf wrote the screenplay while he was in rehab. <laughs> 
So it's not... I mean, like, the characters aren't named Shia LaBeouf, and it's not... Um, like, the show that he's on is not even Stevens. But it is very much, like, about him and his life. And Shia LaBeouf said that, like, one of the most challenging parts was having to play his dad. And one of the parts that hit me really hard was that um, at the end of the movie, I guess I shouldn't say at the end of the movie, there's a part where, or in real life, Shia LaBeouf told his dad that he was making this movie, and his dad was like, well, just, you know, make me look good. And at the end of Honey Boy, when he as an adult goes to his dad and is like, hey, I'm making this movie, um, it's uh, adult Shia is played by Lucas Hedges. Um, he goes to his dad, who's played by Shia LaBeouf, and he's like, hey, I'm making this movie, and it's about us. And his dad's like, just make me look good, honey boy. And I almost started crying. <laughs> like, it was so great. And it was so emotional. And the, I'm not normally a huge fan of child actors, but the kid they got to play, um, young Shia, was absolutely fantastic. And he, it's a very emotional movie, and he nails, like, everything. Um some of the, like, one of my, I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is there's a part where, so the, the, he and his dad, um, which once again played by Shia LaBeouf, who I've never been a huge fan of, but he is great in this movie, um, he, cause he's playing, uh, as his dad, he's his manager, and so he's the one that's, like, trying to get him into show business, and keep him in show business, but... <clears throat> There's a part where uh, they live in this rundown hotel, and so young Shia hires a prostitute, but not for prostitute purposes. He does it because his dad's never home, and he doesn't have anyone to spend time with. Oh my gosh. And so he hires this prostitute regularly to just, like, cuddle with him so that he can have the feeling of being a little kid. Oh my gosh. And then eventually one time his dad comes home and catches him, and his dad starts chewing him out, and he's like, "What? You think I'm not here for you? Like I'm here for you. I'm, I'm. I've got this hotel for you. I'm, I'm helping you become a star." And then Young Shia is like, "The only reason you're here is because I pay you to be here." <laughs> and like, it's just, oh man, this whole movie—it's just—it's so fucking good, and it's so emotional, and it, like I said, I almost cried. And I was not really looking forward to this, and I absolutely loved it. I think the concept is fantastic. They do a great job cutting back and forth between the past and the present, and the cast, oh, excuse me, the cast is just spot on, and I really, really enjoyed it. So, that's my number seven. Alright, uh, fun fact, I believe the boy who plays, his name is Otis in the movie, right? Yes. Um, he was one of the kids in A Quiet Place. Oh. I know how much you liked that movie. Mm-hmm. Noah Jupe. Noah Jupe. Uh, J-U-P-E is how you spell his last name. I don't know how you pronounce that. Okay. Well, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Alright. Riley. Are we moving on to number six now? Number six. My number six pick is actually um, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Okay. Um, we were just talking we about this d- well, last night. I just saw it on Monday. I took It took a long time for me to see it um, just because... I try and see it with my mom every year first before I go see it with anybody else. Mm-hmm. And um, it just took a long time for us to get to the theater. So it was nice. No one else was there pretty much. So it was a nice quiet theater and I could scream and yell as much as I wanted when I needed to. <laughs> um, was she a fan? 
when the original... My mom is... Well, who I credit as much as she doesn't understand for me getting into anything nerdy. So when we, like, fun fact about me, quick little side note, when we were young, we got a PlayStation and my mom bought us this, like, collective disc that had old arcade games on it. And she would sit and play Pac-Man with us because that was what she played as a child herself. And she, a big Star Wars fan, and she's the one that introduced it to my brother and I growing up and had us watch it. So, as much as she doesn't get it and calls me a nerd all the time, she's the reason why I am one, so. I feel like I had the same experience with my dad. Yeah. Like, when the new, like, the Hayden Christensen, like, the prequels came out, um, they re-released the original Star Wars movies in the theaters, and my mom and dad, I think my dad, like, made a point to take us. He's like, because yeah. you need to experience this, like, in the theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And world. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. But yeah, then now he's like, ah, you're such a nerd. Yeah. And I'm like, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> I just took it a step further yep. than what you were. But, uh. A couple steps. But. Couple, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot further steps in yeah. a nerd direction than my mom ever was. But anyway, um. I liked The Rise of Skywalker a lot, um, and I was shocked at how much I liked it, because I was worried I wasn't going to, and there are definite flaws with the movie, don't get me wrong. I thought it was a great wrap-up, again, to not only a trilogy, but, like, a a prolific one. With the name Star Wars attached to it, you got a lot of living up to do, especially considering the backlash from, um, the middle one, The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. Couldn't think of the name for his hot second. Are we doing spoilers? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And I loved how it ended. I loved the reveal of Ray's lineage, which I think is a big point of contention for a lot of people. But mm-hmm. I, I understand the idea that a lot of people wanted her to remain as Ray from nowhere, which I would have been satisfied with that too. Yeah. But I also thought it was pretty cool who she was revealed to be, which is spoilers a Palpatine mm-hmm. descended from. Um, but I do like the ending. In that she chose her lineage in the end. Yeah. Where, like, personally for me, I think that really solidifies the fact that, like, she didn't have anyone growing up, so she had to be there for herself. And then she finds her found family in Han Solo and Chewbacca and eventually Luke and mm-hmm. Leia. Technically Organa, but Skywalker. Yeah. And in the end, when she's asked, who are you? And she chooses Rey Skywalker. I thought that was just such... Like, that solidified what why I loved the movie for me. In the yeah. fact that I'm like, she chose, in the end, where she comes from. It was a really nice parallel. Yes. And I, I thought it was... I loved the fights. I loved her struggle with her idea of who she is now that she realizes she's the descendant of one... Of the most dark force in the whole galaxy. Um, and that her destiny, in the end, was almost to help give rise to this darkness again. Um, and the fact that she, in the end, only wanted to do so to save her found family. Like, she was not going to do it until she realized that that was the only way to save the people dying in, in the aerial battle. Yeah. Which I thought was, again, I, I loved the movie. There were parts where I literally had goosebumps or in my head. I was like, like, I was the one in the theater at the end of the movie when they're like, Ray who? And I'm like, say Skywalker, say Skywalker. <laughs> and then they cut to Leia and Luke's force ghost and she goes, Skywalker. And in my head, I literally was like, yes! <laughs> like, I, I was that person. So anyway, I loved the movie. I thought it was a great wrap up. Could it have been better? Sure. But the whole trilogy could have been 
in the end, and I thought, given what J.J. Abrams had to work with and mm-hmm. the things he retconned and didn't, I, I liked the movie. That's why it's my number six. So, I know that a lot of people, like you said, didn't like the Palpatine line, but I kind of did because I was expecting her, I don't know, I thought they were going to go way off course mm-hmm. in the beginning, and or in the beginning of the trilogy, I thought they were going to go off course, I thought she was going to go to the dark side, and then having her be a Palpatine, and then that conversation with um, Ren, where he's like you should join me because it's in our blood. Right. And I was just kind of like, because there was a point where I was really like, ooh, this could actually, I would actually really enjoy seeing her go bad and seeing, like, where that went. And I don't know, it probably wouldn't be a good ending and a lot of, I know why they didn't do something like that, but I was a little disappointed they didn't do that, but I see why they used the Palpatine lineage. Mm-hmm. And, however, I completely agree that if they had kept her as Rey, no one... I mean, I, I would have been just as good fine yes, with that. Yep. Like, so, they had a... Like, they, like you said, they had a lot to work with, and really... In hindsight, there's a lot of options that I actually think I would have been really okay with mm-hmm. as someone who, like, loves Star Wars. Yes. So. Personally, my fan theory that I was always hoping for, that she would be a Kenobi. Oh. But, obviously, that couldn't happen, didn't happen, and I'm totally fine with that, but I remember seeing The Force Awakens and everyone's like, who, you know, who is she? I'm like, I hope that she is a descendant of Obi-Wan Kenobi, because that would be sweet. But anyway, that's just me. And I think I don't know that would have been really cool though. It would have been cool and Bring I think back another lineage. The biggest reason I thought that was because it it's Obi-Wan's voice when she picks up the saber in The Force Awakens when the whispers say Ray these are your first steps that's that it's Obi-Wan's voice oh, saying that. So I thought I oh it's that. she's a Kenobi because that yeah anyway. I'm fine with it not happening but that was my little yeah. I was like I hope she's a Kenobi. That was me. That's oh. your fan fiction. That was that was my head cannon. <laughs> your head cannon. Yeah. <laughs> My, my biggest complaint was that at the end of the movie when they show all the Sith, Jar Jar wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, Jason's still riding high on the Darth Jar Jar. What? You know, I was the one that showed you that video, and you were very dismissive. No, I wasn't. I think a lot I of people disagree. see it as ridiculous at first, and then you're like, wait, that would actually be I awesome. Think it's hilarious. I would be totally on board. If they come that. out with a show on Disney Plus and it turns out that Darth Jar Jar is behind a lot of things or right? the next instant, I'm going to be like, <laughs> it's so funny. If they, they do it well, it'll be amazing. I mean, so they funny. made a pretty compelling argument, and the guy who played Jar Jar came out and said that that was what was supposed to happen. Yeah. So. He was supposed to be like a big part of the world, but people hated, hated him hated so him. much they couldn't do it. Which. It's so funny because I think that like I would have been a hundred percent on board with that if they would have actually followed through. Me too. If fans would have been like, "Oh, he was a bad guy. That's why he was so incompetent and my like, hate idiot. is justified." But, yeah. My real question then is, would he keep talking like Misa Usa, or would he, I hope or would so. he turn and be like, <laughs> "What's up, motherfuckers? <laughs> actually, I betrayed you." <laughs> like some very proper deep voice. No, Pro- I, probably not because all the other Gungans talk like that. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I would hope he stays like Misa. Use Force Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Misa, take over the universe. We should galaxy. stop talking about Jar Jar Binks. Okay. Caitlin, what's your number six? 
My number six is fighting with my family. This is another one that I think got overlooked. It just kind of mm-hmm. came and went. I had, had not even heard about it. Jason was the one that was like, we're going to go see this movie. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I was really hesitant because he's like, it's a wrestling movie. And I was just like, oh, what did I agree to? And I mean, like, I'm familiar with wrestling. My brothers grew up watching, or I grew up with multiple brothers who all liked watching like WWE and stuff. But then it's like a true story and it's about how this girl defies logic. I don't know. Um, the she's odds. Like, yeah, she defies the odds. the odds. There you go. Um, she really wants to be a part of it and she works her ass off and she, it's so empowering and it's the family dynamic in it is also really great because like there's the one part because her brother is trying to go too but they pick her and not her brother and he's always wanted this as well and just seeing like how she's torn because her family like her parents totally support her and they're so excited and they're so proud of her and all she really wants is like her brother's approval but her brother's mad because it's not him and it's about like their relationship and um and she actually turned out to be like a really famous wrestler who was it Paige. Paige. oh that's her wrestling name okay she, know her la- did she have a last name or is she just Paige like Cher? <laughs> no, I think Beyonce. Bastille. I, I think it was just I think that was her wrestling name was it was just Paige. Okay. Um but I know that like she was one of the ones that was instrumental in stopping the like bra and panty matches. Yeah. And she was one of the ones that helped support the like taking the divas seriously mm-hmm. um, and making them like a not just an overly sexualized part of yeah to show that like these women really did know the moves and they could really do these things and they could be fun and to watch and and be entertaining not in the sexual way yeah. but in like the I will, I will kick your ass yeah sort I'm of watching way. this badass chick do some badass shit yeah like, and I know it's wrestling and it's it's fake and it's also kind of not but at the same time like i get what you mean like it's not just bra and panty matches that are made for like the the quote-unquote male gaze where it's Mm -hmm. just all sexual and it didn't mean anything like you look at these women and how fit they are yeah and how acrobatic athletic the mood like it doesn't matter if it's fake you have to have athletic ability to to do this to Mm -hmm. be essentially a stunt double for entertainment yeah um there's no denying that there is athletic ability and talent that lies yeah in it my only real complaint is this sounds weird but like the rock who's in it and not that i don't like him he's popping up all over the place and i enjoy a lot of what he's done lately um again we were talking about jumanji briefly but his Jason, you told me later on, after we had seen the movie, that his role in her experience was much, much more minimal than what they portrayed in the movie, and I just think that's kind of annoying, because, I don't know, if you're telling this story, I want it to be a little bit more true 
and yeah. like how it actually happened. Yeah. However, I know that you know it's Hollywood, and part of trying to get people to come see the movie is like, ooh, and there's this person that you really like, so mm-hmm. come watch this movie he's done because it's obviously going to be good then. Um, so that's why they kind of amped it up. But other than, I mean, he's not even. He's just like a blip. I don't even. The movie itself is so good that it's not needed. He's in two scenes. Yeah. But yeah, no fighting with my family. That was that was one that I had a hard time leaving off my list. It's it's really good and the I think what's great about it is that it's not just about like her trying to make it and be taken seriously as a wrestler once she gets the opportunity. She doesn't want to do it anymore because her brother doesn't get picked too Mm -hmm. and so she it's about her struggling with that feeling of guilt like oh my brother's not here i shouldn't be here and her uh her brother um like her brother is trying to encourage her her rest of her family you know they're all trying to they're fighting with her to like keep her in wrestling to follow her dream and she just doesn't want to um and I know we've been talking about a lot of the dramatic elements, but, like, this movie is also funny as shit. It is. It's super funny. It's... Nick Frost is in it. Steve Merchant's in it. Um, it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yep. And then isn't her brother played by Lucas Hedges? Yeah. Yeah, and he's really funny. He's good. One of my favorite lines in the movie is when, um... I mean, it's in the trailer, but when he's, like... <laughs> they're, they're doing their little introductions, um at the wrestling for the first time and he's like I'm the toughest bastard in any room sorry probably shouldn't swear in front of ladies and then he turns to the guy next to him and is like sorry ma'am <laughs> <laughs> so funny Vince Vaughn's in it and he's really good he's and he, really good he's he, the coach yep, or the and he trainer does, he does more of a dramatic role and he's really great in it which it's the second dramatic movie he was in this year because he was also in Dragged Across Concrete which was fantastic as well um, but yeah Backtracking a second to like more of the depressing parts of this movie, Lucas Hedges is really fantastic because his role, the brother who's trained for this his whole life and then got the opportunity and didn't make it, is also having to struggle with figuring out what's my place in the world. Yeah, what do I do now? Yeah, and so they do kind of an, they also do that storyline, but it doesn't. It, unlike Star Wars, doesn't feel like two movies trying to mash together. It it goes really well. It, it flows really well. So. The comparison of their two journeys. Yeah, so go see it. That's great. Or not see it. Go rent it. Alright, my, my number six, I'm guessing, is higher up on your lists, and that's uh, Endgame. <laughs> that's lower on my list. Alright. So, uh... I would have been shocked if I did not have this movie as the highest one of the three of us. If, if someone else put it above me, I would have been like, why? <laughs> How? We will just put a pin in that, and Riley, what's your number five? My number five is actually the movie that I appeared first on the podcast for, and that was Spider-Man Far From Home. Okay. Fun! Um... That started on my list, and then I kicked it off. We're finally getting into the Riley fanboy Marvel movies, so Ooh. welcome to the Marvel podcast, everybody. Um, no, I I loved it as a sequel to the, like, the Spider-Man franchise that is now being introduced as Marvel movies as compared to Sony movies. Um, and it's the end of Phase 3, takes place after Endgame, so it's after everything is finished, the final battle is over, and now what 
what does a superhero do now that the world is the calmest it's been in literally almost five, six, seven years? Yeah. And things have been brought back to normal for the most part. People that were dead have been brought back. Um, but it's also how he deals with being a teenager as well as a superhero. Um, and also, he was one of the people who's gone for five years. Yeah, he was snapped away, brought back, part of the final battle, watches his father figure mentor die um, to save the world, and now has to live with this world who is mourning the loss of Tony Stark, or Iron Man, I should say. The world is mourning the loss of Iron Man, where he's, where Peter Parker is mourning the loss of Tony Stark. It is, at its, like, core... You know, one of its themes is grief, mm-hmm. and it is a great movie about grief. Oh, yeah. It's seen, and not only for him, but for us saying goodbye to characters that we've known for the last 10, 12 years, oh, who are yeah. either dead, moving on, not a part of the franchise anymore. Um, Did you feel like it was... I feel like this movie could have gone really well or not well at all, because Endgame happened, and then we got this. Yeah. And, like, relatively soon after, and it was kind of like, okay, well, this is done. This is our, like, we have a jumping off point now, and this is where we're going. And it actually was very satisfying. I agree, 100%. Because it could have, like, do I think the movie was a little long, and there were parts about, like, the teenage campiness that went yeah. on a little too long? Yes. But it's also a Marvel movie, and mm-hmm. and in the fact that they just want to include as many details as possible... Um, but at the same time, I was very satisfied. Um, I liked that they brought in a new villain, like mm-hmm. they had previously for mm-hmm. the previous Spider-Man movie, which was the Vulture, and now it's Mysterio, as compared to just following the Doc Ock Green Goblin uh, arc. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought they were done really well. And we talked about it on the episode, so I won't talk about it too much, but like Jake Gyllenhaal was amazing mm-hmm. as Mysterio. Um, I liked that all of the trailers before Endgame for this movie did not show the murals and mornings of Tony Stark, and then after Endgame comes out, they come out with new trailers that show what this movie really is about. I legit Um, had no idea Tony was gonna die. I was so surprised in um, Endgame. Exactly. yeah, because, like, Spider- because we're watching also the trailers for Spider-Man simultaneously with Endgame, Mm -hmm. and they hit it so well. They did a great job. Um... I don't know. As someone who has recently, in the last few years, become a big Spider-Man fanboy, um, I thought the movie was well done. So that was great. It's top five, bottom of top five, but still one of my favorite movies of 2019, and I thought it was a good way to end phase three. It yeah. was satisfying. I 100% think it was. So Agreed. And I'm really glad that Sony and Marvel came to an agreement so we can see what happens next. Instead, well, I mean, can you imagine? Like, we were left with the ginormous cliffhanger of yeah. Spider-Man's identity being revealed to the world, and then all of a sudden Sony's like, no, we're not doing this anymore. And, and having Sony have to wrap that up would have been horrible. Oh, it, would, it wouldn't have been pretty. No, so, a rushed uh, Marvel Sony movie. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm happy that they came to an agreement, and now we can wait longer to get a better movie. Yeah. Alright, um... My number five is a very, like, unknown movie, I guess. Um, it is Ophelia. So I... little background. I am a sucker. My favorite play, my favorite, like, Shakespeare, specifically Shakespeare play, is Hamlet. I found my dad had the like a book of the play in his apartment when I was like a preteen 
after my parents got divorced and I um, found it and I picked it up and I fell in love with the story. It's God. <laughs> it's just it's everyone dies it's fantastic <laughs> and I, I love, love it. it and I love it and everyone's just got like <laughs> their own motives and so Ophelia is the story of Hamlet but told from Ophelia's perspective so everything is the same Hamlet's running around doing his Hamlet-y stuff and <laughs> you killed my father you killed my father <laughs> um and but they they kept so they kept true to it but anything that did not directly involve ophelia was not included and that was really nice and obviously they like had to take some liberties to like fill in like the holes because when you're following hamlet you don't know what ophelia is doing so and it was really nice and it was really believable and it was really fun because i I just picked it up at the video store and I was like oh well it's a retelling of Hamlet so like I'll just watch it and then uh I'm trying to remember who plays Ophelia oh uh Daisy Ridley oh yeah plays Ophelia. that's amazing and she's a redhead and she's so gorgeous and I was just like looking at her and I was like oh shit it's Ray <laughs> oh my god it's you um and so she did a phenomenal job and She's just, Ophelia is a very meek, but, like, and strong-willed person all at the same time, and they throw in kind of a, I mean, like, Hamlet's father comes back as a ghost at one point, but they have, like, a witch, kind of, uh, she's not a witch, she just, like, makes herbal remedies and stuff and so they kind of threw like that part into it which obviously is not in the play and I just loved all of it it was um a definitely like a diamond in the rough like I just randomly saw it and I was like okay we'll try this I don't know yeah and it was fantastic I loved it I'll definitely watch it again nice alright <clears throat> my number five is ready or not that was a good one. Which is a film that I had very low expectations for and did not think was going to be very good. And then I saw it and I absolutely loved it. Um, I think that this might have been the biggest surprise for me of the whole year. Um, just because I thought it looked like garbage and then I saw it and it was so great. Um, we only went because I wanted to see it because I was really excited to see it. And then I saw it again by myself. Yep. The the cast of the family is absolutely great. Um, it's another one of those movies that's very similar to Knives Out, which is another movie that almost made it onto my list, where it's about just this shitty fucking family taking out their... Um, you know, their aggression and what they have to do to remain rich. Um, man, there were a lot of movies this year that went after the upper class and capitalism, which I'm okay with. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, but yeah, no, um, and if you, I mean, if you haven't heard of Ready or Not, it is just about a woman who marries into this family, and then, then they reveal that on her wedding night she has to survive a game of... Um, hide and seek, wherein if she gets caught, she will be murdered. But she has to die. That's part of the tradition, is they mm -hmm. have to kill yeah, her. Yeah, they have to kill her. 
Um, and oh, it is so great. And I don't know the name of the actress who plays the aunt. But if you've seen the trailer, the yeah, the old aunt, the the one with the permanent scowl on her face. <laughs> um, if you've seen even a poster for it, she you'll looks probably like a human hedgehog. <laughs> She just it, grumpy as an emotion. Like, oh, she is perfect. Like the whole cast is just great. They're funny. Um, the <clears throat> idea was fairly original. There were a number of kind of twists that I didn't quite see coming. And no, the payoff was great. And it's a very, very funny and also very genuinely scary movie, which is so rare with horror comedies. Um, that they nail both so well. So that is my number five. Well, I found her. It's Nikki, but I'm not even going to try and pronounce her last name. Nikki Guadagni. <laughs> Let me see. This is our new segment. <laughs> the new segment where all of you get to listen to us pass a phone around and look at a picture. Naming names. <clears throat> Trying to segment. pronounce names. All right. That's my number five. We're bad. Guadagini. 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 Guacamole. <laughs> Nikki Guacamole. <laughs> That's her name. All right, so. Number four. Number, coming in at number four is not a Marvel movie plot twist. It's John Wick 3. Oh. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, that was one that I had a hard time not, not putting on my list. Um... I, like, my brother and my mom are big fans of John Wick 3, or uh, of the John Wick franchise, and I've always watched it with them, and they're great movies, but I've never been, like, super into them, Mm -hmm. I guess. Like, I'm not a big John Wick fanboy, as I am with Marvel movies, but John Wick 3, I thought, was amazing. Like, I, as a, not only a third movie in the franchise is one that I not only genuinely enjoyed, but I would watch it, like, over and over and over again. Um, especially the fight scenes and like the, I think we talked about this multiple times where like they're fighting and I can't remember the bad guy's name, but which one of them's on the ground and the other one, I'm like flipping it back and forth. Is that in this movie? Maybe I'm remembering wrong. Where somebody's on the ground. There's like, lots of people. Like, like they have an opportunity to kill him, but they don't and they pick him back up so they can continue fighting. Oh, yeah, I don't remember. I can't remember the names either. But, like, I thought that... It made me laugh, but it was such, like, a, a scene about honor and respect for your enemy mm-hmm. that really solidified that movie in my mind as to be one of the best movies of 2019. And I think most people would agree. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's a great movie. Um, and I'm also not a fan of just action movies for the sake of action most of the time, but this was... It was just so good. Would you say that the John Wick movies are the better version of a Punisher movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or like uh, like Taken. I'd say they're a better version of Taken. About a guy who's escaped this world and he's being pulled back in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I say, yeah, maybe not the Punisher, but Taken. Where he still has his own moral code and it's evident throughout the whole time. And But he also isn't afraid to just straight up murder yeah. someone if he has to. I was just trying to relate it back to Marvel for you. <laughs> Thank you. Fanboy. I mean, I guess I'm not talking about Marvel, but, like, I'm actually not a big fan of, like, the Punisher. Okay. Um, I guess just because he's in such a 
disalignment with my own moral code. <laughs> like, like I get that horrible things have happened to him, but I just, I hate the fact that he's like, I'm going to take justice into my own hands. And then he just starts killing people that he feels deserve to die. I'm like, but why is it up to you? And it's not even people that have wronged him. It's now that we're, we're not talking about John Wick 3 anymore. But, um, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I don't care. Like, you think I'm mad about talking about Marvel? That is incorrect. Um, <laughs> But uh, the character is interesting. Like I can appreciate the arc of the Punisher, mm-hmm. but I I'm not a fan because because of his character. Yeah. So uh, go ahead. Have you seen Warzone? No. Because Warzone is absolutely amazing, and it also depicts the Punisher in a much like different. Because in all the other movies, he's kind of like this hot dude tortured soul and in Punisher Warzone it's how they get the ladies to go watch the movie (laughs) yeah that's entirely true (laughs) one Punisher Warzone is directed by a woman uh, Lexi Alexander who is absolutely amazing and it's also the the guy I can't remember his name but the guy who plays the Punisher in um, Warzone is like He's this big fat dude. Um, I shouldn't say he's fat. He's very husky, and he's looks like he lives in the sewer. Like he just looks gross. Um, <clears throat> it's not like a glorified version of the story. He's not like a expert at hand to hand combat. He's just like I don't know. One of my one of my favorite moments in the movie that I've and just in action movies in general. There's a part where there's these parkour guys. Um, who are, you know, murderers, and they're doing parkour from a building to another building, and so one of them makes the jump, and then the next one goes to jump, and the whole thing's happening in slow motion, and then all of a sudden a rocket just, like, blows. (laughs) It's the guy that's in the middle of his jump, and he just explodes. Oh my gosh! And then they look over, and the Punisher's just standing there with a rocket launcher, and then he drops it and picks up a sniper rifle and takes out the other two. Like, it's just awesome. (laughs) Like... Um, it's also, I don't know, it's, the the people that he's taking on are very, I don't know, they're much shittier than the other renditions of the Punisher. Um, and he's also a much, or he's also a less, uh, sympathetic version of the character, and, I don't know, there was something else I was gonna say. Oh, um, the guy, Jimmy McNulty, Dominic West... Yes, um, who plays Jimmy McNulty on The Wire, is the villain in Warzone, and he is absolutely just a blast to watch. Like, this movie is so good, and I absolutely love it. We'll have to do it sometime for the podcast, because I know Donnie's also a huge fan of it, so. Alright. Alright. Cool. So my number four is Rocket Man. Ooh. Okay. I... Again, this is the second musical (laughs) movie that I've put on here. I'm a sucker. Um, I'm also a huge sucker for Elton John. I grew up listening to him. So, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody came out, and I was really excited for that. And I still really liked it. A lot of people don't, just because it took so long for it to get made, and so many changes, and blah 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 so then this was coming out and I was really excited because it had kind of like the fantasy like feel to it 
and it almost felt a little bit like um, Moulin Rouge, I guess, in the like the bright colors and the musical numbers, and um, there's like that scene where he's like playing the piano on stage and he like starts to float and then all the audience starts to float and so it was just kind of that mm -hmm. um that yeah like fantasy type feeling um which made it a great musical and I loved it and then there's the biopic and the story is great uh, Elton John was incredibly honest and wanted to be straightforward with like his drug use and his addictions and his issues and it's a movie where I laughed, a movie where I like that I cried when he goes to visit his dad when he's an adult and his dad responds by asking mm -hmm. him for an autograph and then For his, someone else. Yeah, for someone else. And then his brothers like his dad started a new family and his brothers come in and the kids are like climbing all over him and you can just see like his heartbreak because he's like you wouldn't even like give me a hug yeah and so there's like the heartbreaking and um and then his struggle with his i not even like his own sexual identity but his place in the world as a gay man who is a celebrity in a world that does not accept your sexuality yet. Where, where he's famous despite it because they love him for that, but yeah. when he expresses his sexuality, they're like, no, not that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's almost duality. Like, this part of you is okay yeah. and this part of you is not. Yeah, and watching him struggle and then it's, it's heartbreaking to watch because, I mean, at least for us, we've grown up in a generation that, or we, we grew up in an environment in our generation that was very accepting. And so just to see, like, this person and this celebrity and this musician that is my childhood, like, is my life, like, path, you yeah. know, listening to his music. And to know that there was... Um, such a like a time where it just wasn't and I just loved it and the musical numbers are amazing and I couldn't help but sing along yeah and it's fantastic the cast um is it Christina Hendricks no who plays his mother is it Bryce Dallas Howard yes. um she was phenomenal and then Taryn Edgerton I have a <laughs> I I love everything I see him in. Uh, was it the Golden Circle? Mm -hmm. Kingsman, oh the Golden gosh. Circle. Like, wasn't... It was good. It wasn't super great. But, like, I still... He just gives it his all. And he is fantastic. And I will see any movie that he is in. And I have quite the lady boner for this man. <laughs> Elton John is in that movie. And... Yeah. I know! Yeah, right? he is. And then, um... <laughs> Fun fact, I keep popping in with these, uh, Taron Edgerton got the role because, if you remember this obscure movie called Sing, <laughs> it was the kids, like, a kids movie, mm -hmm. um, he voices the gorilla who sings an Elton John song. It's one of my favorite, uh, songs from that movie. Yeah. I have the soundtrack on my Spotify. And Elton John heard it and was like, I want him to do to play me yeah and um and then he ends up it's actually the song that they end the movie on the end rocket man on so it was really funny because 
the little boy that I take care of, he was like singing it, and I was like, "How do you know that song?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh, it's in this movie, this kids movie." And I was like, "What?" Yeah, I saw it sing in theaters a long time ago. Yeah, it was cute. So, yep, Rocket Man. Go see it. Go it's see really it. Good. Go do it. It's really good. It's a very... Collective Jace, you must watch it. It's a very non-traditional biopic, which is something I always appreciate. He was a very non-traditional man. It's very true. Um, or a non-traditional artist. And, yeah, no, it was it was really good. Alright, <clears throat> my number four is a movie that is higher up on somebody else's list, yeah. and that is One Cut of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll just skip that and head to Riley's number three. Welcome back to the Marvel Podcast. Um, (laughs) My number three is Captain Marvel. Um, Love it. I am one of those people, I, I try to say that I try and remain as unbiased as possible when I see films that I'm especially really excited for. Um, And I remember when they announced who was like way back when they were like yeah we're making a captain marvel movie and this is who's going to play carol danvers and i i remember immediately following brie larson on twitter just so i could like follow like i was so excited that we were finally getting a story with a female hero and it was like her origin story and i knew nothing about captain marvel at all i was literally one of those people that was like I'm sold. I'm ready. Um, and I, like I said, I try and remain as unbiased as possible, but this movie, it's so hard because I, I love Captain Marvel. I loved the story that they told with her. I love her importance in the story. I love the fact that this movie takes place in the 90s, even though it's one of the only movies between Infinity War and Endgame, mm-hmm. and the other movie being Ant-Man and the Wasp. It was yeah. literally the only the only buffer be- what we got between this... It, incredible movie another incredible movie mm-hmm. um and it's about where she comes from mm-hmm. and yeah. why she wasn't in every other movie prior to this <laughs> and um i love her story about finding herself and it's not even necessarily a movie that's like i am woman i am so great but it's about the fact that no matter where she's getting knocked down or being told no you can't do this i'm better than you she always it's like they even have a scene where it's just her standing up over and over and over again. And it's not about... Did you do the Captain Marvel episode? I don't think I had been there yet, no. Okay. Um, I... It's not even a fact of being a girl. It's about human perseverance, especially in the movie. It's it's capitalized in the fact that she's talking to her adoptive kidnappers, essentially, who are not human, and she's showing her humanness in being is her strength in the fact that she will continue to try and try and try and try and try no matter how hard things get. And I loved that. Like, I almost cried. Instead, I cheered in the theater. I'm one of those people <laughs> that's like, yes. Um, I I don't know. Captain Marvel is amazing to me. It's, a t- it's not the best movie that I saw in 2019, but it's top three for a reason, and it's one of my absolute favorites. And it probably will be. I will watch that movie 1,015 times, and I'll never be tired of it. But we were, we were talking earlier when we were doing the I'm Only Happy When It Rains, and I was saying that I'll always associate that song now with her riding the motorcycle in the desert. Yep. <clears throat> Forever and always. So. Um, well, we did an episode on this, and I was on it, so yeah. you can 
Collective J, so you can go back and listen to me rave about that movie. Gush. Yep. Super gush. And again, super lady boner for Brie Larson. Oh, oh my god, I know. <laughs> right? Well, she, uh, as a human being, as an actress. As Captain as, Marvel. As, as an activist, as Captain Marvel. It's fantastic. Yeah. I never knew that I liked Mohawks. Until <laughs> I well, I read I was yeah. I, I did research on the comics when I found out about Captain Marvel, and I wasn't sure how I felt about how they were gonna do her mohawk mm-hmm. in the movie. But I was so happy with how it worked and how it looked. Like it was one of personally one of my visual favorites in just the fact that the mask comes on and that's where her hair goes. I'm like, oh, it's practical and stylish. I love it. <laughs> so. Yep. All right, I can talk about this for the next two hours, and we're not going Caitlin. to. Caitlin! So, all right. My number three is One Cut of the Dead. Woohoo! Does it go any f- higher for anyone else? Okay, is your number three? Right. Um, I'm not spoiling so we'll it for just, anybody. I know, I'm sorry. We'll so just... we'll put a pin in that one, and Jason? My number three was Parasite, Woo! which none of you have seen. <laughs> nope. And... Parasite is the newest uh, Jun Bang Ho film. Um, he, he did Snowpiercer. He did Okja. He did The Host. Not the shitty Stephanie Myers adaptation. <laughs> he did a, it's a very awesome monster movie. Um, and it's great. Anyway, this is his newest film. Um, it's been getting a lot of award buzz, which makes me really happy. There's a lot of people who are saying it might be the first foreign language film to win Best Picture at the Oscars, which I would totally be fine with because it is amazing. It's a very timely film. Um, it's about this very, very poor family who are able to infiltrate their way into this rich family's life as like the son um does uh he starts working as a tutor for the daughter um the mom works as a maid the dad starts working as a driver i forget what the daughter does um but there's I don't know, there's just, there's so much stuff in the movie that is just so fantastic, um, and so heartbreaking, and there's a lot of twists that happen, uh, especially, like, halfway through the movie that I really don't want to get into, because I really want people to watch this, um, but it's another movie about the horrors of, you know, the rich, the horrors of the current financial system, um, just, it covers so much, and it does it so perfectly, and... The characters are fascinating, and um, one of my, one of my, I don't know, I don't know if I'd say it's one of my favorite, well, maybe one of the more heartbreaking moments in the movie is because the way that this family infiltrates, this poor family infiltrates this rich family, is they get all of their other help fired, and so, like, uh, they hide a pair of panties in the dad's car to make it seem like his current driver has been using his car for personal reasons and so then the the dad is like we gotta find a new driver and then the son is like oh I know a guy <laughs> and um I don't know it's just it's 
it's great, but then you also look at how the family is living because they live in like this shitty little basement. Um, it gets flooded, and I don't know. It's just it's it's a very rough movie to watch considering our current economic system and kind of you know seeing the world from how poor people can be but it's amazing and contrary to how the poster makes it look it is not a horror movie at least not in the traditional sense um i know it was great i absolutely loved it so so what's the parasite uh i mean it's the family living off of the other family okay. in a parasitic way so um yeah all right that's that's all i got to say about that i don't want right. to get too much into it because i don't want to spoil it for people cool so riley you're number two number two number two coming in with the highest grossing movie of all time currently <laughs> around the world is avengers endgame mm -hmm. um and i think the reason why i had a really hard time with this one in my number one pick, they moved spots a lot. However, um, I love, as obviously as big Marvel fanboy, I loved this movie in the sense that it ended what we've been waiting ten years to happen. Like, we've been waiting for the ultimate showdown, which technically it's happening again, because we did see the, the fight between the Avengers and Thanos in Infinity War. But it was more the fact that Thanos just wiped the floor with him. He's like, mm -hmm. I was coming, you can't stop me. This is how it's going to be. Where this one, they actually figure out like a fighting chance even after they've lost. Yeah. Which not only plays on their name, being the Avengers, but again, going back to the idea of human resilience even after we've been beaten again and again and again. Obviously, you love it when all the heroes come together. Definitely a fun moment. Um, seeing everyone come back to life when they're re-snapped into existence. Mm -hmm. um, but I do like that this this time there are more permanent consequences. Because mm -hmm. we knew that everyone was coming back. Like, there was yeah. no question that the Avengers were going to get... S somehow find a way to bring the people that were snapped away back from the dead. Um, but in the sense that Tony Stark is gone, mm -hmm. for real... Captain America is 80 billion years old. He's not dead, but he's not coming mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. um, Black and Widow. Black Widow being gone. Vision still being gone. Quicksilver not coming back, which obvi for obvious reasons. But there are many people who are gone, and they're gone for real. Mm -hmm. And So there are consequences, which I think was a big criticism of this movie, is people said, oh, there's no consequences. Well, it is a Marvel movie, mm -hmm. first of all. And second of all, I would argue that just because they're not as heavy as you would like them to have been, like heavier casualties, there are still people, big pillars of the Marvel franchise who are gone. Right? Yeah. Um, I love, I've talked about it before, I love the way that not only they had new score, but they reused score from Infinity War to emphasize a point, like mm -hmm. the moment of getting the soul stone for Thanos and Hawkeye was the same, and they used the same music, but it had different different weight to it and the fact that with Thanos we watched Gamora, a character we have come to know get thrown off a cliff and it's sad and the fact that for him he did what had to be done for his own purposes where Hawkeye had to say goodbye to his best friend so he could bring everyone else back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With the same musical score, like I said, putting weight on the situation but a different kind. Well, and it's... With him, with Hawkeye too, it was I feel like heavier also because they were fighting on mm -hmm. who was going to go. Exactly. And 
when it's so then there's not only the grief of I lost my best friend but it's I lost my best friend because yet again I wasn't strong enough right to like this time I had to beat her before I had to beat Thanos but now I'm not even strong enough to like take her place and from another part of that situation too is at that moment he has really lost everything and yeah. now he like he has to win yeah because that's the only way he's getting what they were fighting for back otherwise he truly not only is his family not there but he he lost the only other person in the world that cared about him yeah um i love <laughs> Love the scene where Captain Marvel comes and just flies through the ship and just yes. general holdos the shit out of it and it's gone. Um, loved the scene where all of the female protagonists kind of come together and they're like, don't worry, she's got help. And I, yes. The moment where Cap gets the hammer, I mean, literally everyone in the uh, theater cheered for that, which was, yeah, and I was one of them. <laughs> that, that was my favorite part. That was, in, as soon as I saw the hammer, I think everyone in the theater was like, it's happening. This is it. And we watch it fly past Thor and he just takes it, holds it, looks up at Thanos like, you're fucked now, boy. Um, I even love Thor's reaction. He, in I that know moment. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's kind of like, because he was so scared about it, like, in the beginning. And at this point, he's accepted and, like, so much has happened yes. that he's like, fuck yeah, like, you're totally worthy. Yeah, where he's literally getting his throat crushed by Thanos. He's literally on the ground going, I knew it! Thanos just turns around and punches him in the face to knock him out. That was pretty cool. It's also nice because, you know, it's an actual moment that was set up in Age of Ultron and finally gets the payoff. You get the payoff for it. That's the one it was. I was thinking it was, like, one of the first ones, but... Yeah. Um... I love that Bruce Banner's arm after using the, the gauntlet is... Like, a lot of people think it's permanently disfigured. Yeah. Um, which I'm okay with, because, like I said, more consequences for what they had to do to bring everyone back. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Three hours long. There's yeah. a lot of thought put into it. Um, Again, um, this is definitely a movie. I was watching a video on YouTube that pointed this out but this is truly a movie about grief yes throughout the be from beginning to end um each character and the way they're dealing with grief and the kind of grief that they have to um process at this point everyone has different like and how everyone's is different everyone copes differently yeah and then also the grief of like the long-term effects you know Mm -hmm. even i think it's kind of like the hulk's arm is really or bruce banner's arm is a fantastic like way to do the symbolic like this is a scar that i'm going to have forever yep where for a lot of them they're still going to have the emotional scars yes and this is a good way to you know to show demonstrate the physical it. aspect of yeah. it, and it's going to be long-lasting. I, I really appreciate I think that, you know, this, like Riley's mentioned, this has been in the making for, like, 11 years, and it's been really great that, you know, not only did the payoff, not only was the payoff worth it, but, I mean, this is the movie event of the, of the decade. I mean, this is, you know, people, <clears throat> there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, 
diss the Marvel movies just because they're so popular and because they, you know, they're everywhere and they make so much money, but I mean, I don't know, this, you can look at other series, but this is a, a franchise that has done something that no other franchise has ever done, and it's done it incredibly well, um, almost perfectly. And one of the other things that I've, I've appreciated so much is that they have stopped giving exposition in their movies because, I mean, if you don't know what's going on, then you're just fucked. <laughs> yeah, we've reached a point, like, almost a Marvel singularity where, uh, like, I mean, in the past, you used to be able to tell people, oh, you don't need to see the movies beforehand because yeah. it will still make sense to you. But we're reaching a point now where, no, you do have to have some kind of knowledge, right. background knowledge, whatever it is, to see these movies so you understand, especially Endgame. Right. Like, you're literally coming off of people being dead, dusted, they're looking for Thanos, they're like, when did he get here? When did he get, how did he do it? Why is no one here? Um, Imagine someone trying to, like, jump into the Marvel Universe by watching the, like, um, Winter Soldier Falcon, right. like, TV show. Yeah, you're like, like who no, are these people? You've got 11 years of movies yes. you need to watch first. So. <laughs> Alright, um... I think I've started almost all of mine like that. Alright, this one was... <laughs> um, my number two is Bombshell. Oh yeah. And there's just so much emotion that comes with this movie. I run out of words being able to say, like, how much I loved this movie. I was really excited when I saw the trailer for it. It was really nice because it was kind of obscure. I didn't really know what it was going to be about, and I kind of it made me have to go look, and I really liked that. Because, Doing the research, yeah. That it was a trailer who it wasn't going to give me all the info. It was going to give me a baseline, and then I had to go if I wanted to know that was going to be impatient. I had to go look, and I vaguely remember this scandal coming out. Um, with Fox News and the sexual harassment and when Gretchen I'm so sorry I'm blanking on her name Carlson Car Gretchen Carlson and Megan Kelly were the big names that came out and I remember it was when I was floored when Bill O'Reilly lost his show and then That was something I never thought was going to Yeah that was and I knew, because it's one thing when it's, like, the guy who's running the company, because, you know, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, because although you see their name, they really are just a name. You don't to have the, a face to yeah, it. To they're the not a public, of us. They're not a public profile. Right. They're not prolific in the sense that, like, oh my gosh, Harvey Weinstein, you're like... Yeah. Okay, yeah, he was a big name, but I don't know him. Right. Not like Bill O'Reilly oh or gosh, yeah. um, Alex Jones. Right. Mm -hmm. Or even or you could go even CNN with... Mm -hmm. um, Matt Lauer. Yeah. When Matt, the thing with Matt Lauer. I was so surprised. Yeah. I shouldn't have been. I really shouldn't have been about anything that I watched in this movie. But um, the cast was phenomenal. It was Margot Robbie... Uh, Nicole Kidman and Charlize Theron and the makeup was incredible. There were times where I was like seeing Charlize Theron as Megan Kelly and I would like look at her and she would like turn a certain angle and I was like, am 
I sure that that's Charlie's Theron? And then she's like, do another angle, and I'd be like, okay, well, it's obviously her, but it was just the makeup was so good. Mm -hmm. She looked so much like her. And the way they started is they kind of follow Margot Robbie at first, and then it evolves into, so it starts small, and then it gets big. And it's great, because that's exactly how this stuff happens. And it was heartbreaking, and I cried because I was so sad and then it was amazing and empowering and I cried because I was like so excited when these women like band together and it really does all work out for them and it's just amazing and it made me appreciate those women more and I just absolutely loved the movie again there's so much more I could say about it but (laughs) we'll cut that short okay does it make you excited for what what trailer did we just watch the other day? Promising Young Woman. Yeah. Yes. Excited for that movie. Oh, yes. And actually, we're doing an episode of um, Best of the Decade. And I was looking at my list, and so many of them are just, like, scandals that have yeah. been resolved or things that have come out and then people getting their justice that's been a long time yeah. coming. So, and this was... One of them, and I really loved it. And woohoo! Hell yeah, feminism. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so I'm not gonna lie. My 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 top three could easily be switched with each other. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, but my number two is the Lighthouse, which was the second film by Robert Eggers, whose last movie was The Witch, which is hands down the most horrifying haunting film that I have ever seen in my entire life and The Lighthouse is a very much a a spiritual sequel in the sense that uh, somebody pointed something out interesting to me that the the witch is a search for darkness that ends with the character finding light and The Lighthouse is a search for light that ends in the character finding darkness um, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are basically the only two people in the movie. There's one other actress who's in it for about two seconds. Um, and it's just about these two guys who are at a lighthouse for, I think it's 30 days, and they just lose their fucking minds. Um, and one of the best moments is when Willem Dafoe starts challenging Robert Pattinson, and he's like, how long have we been here? Two days? Two weeks, two I, months, I two remember years. that moment from yeah. the trailer and feeling that, the weight of it. That one's great. Um, <clears throat> there's some revelations that come up. There's, uh, <clears throat> you get to see, um, because Willem Dafoe is, has done this kind of work before, and he's very, uh, there's, there's one of my favorite moments is Robert Pattinson starts spying on him because he wants to see the, the light at the top of the lighthouse and Willem Dafoe won't let him see it and so he starts spying on Willem Dafoe and finding that Willem Dafoe is like dancing around this light naked <laughs> and um, I think he's even masturbating um, while he does it and <clears throat> I don't know, everything that I'm saying probably sounds ridiculous but like in the context of the movie it is amazing and I read a common fan theory that is, it's all just in, is it Robert Pattinson's head? Like, everything is just in his head. 
I don't think that that would be possible at all because okay. of where it ends. Um, but it's the, the the plot draws very strong comparisons between two figures in Greek mythology, and I cannot remember who they are off the top of my head. But one of them is the guy that gets fire for mankind. Oh, Prometheus. Yes, one of them is Prometheus, and that's supposed to be Robert Pattinson. And then I don't remember who the, who Willem Dafoe's character is, but he's one of the gods of the sea. It's not Poseidon. Um, Triton? Maybe. maybe. I don't know. I would say I don't know. But it is just, it's such a good movie. It's so well done. Um, it's another, it's a movie like, kind of like Uncut Gems in that it'll give you a really strong sense of anxiety because you don't really know what's going on. Um, it's a great example of pure cinema because a lot of the film or very little of the film is communicated through the dialogue. It's mostly through the actions and how they react to each other. Um, and, you know, I, I, I know that everybody else has said this a million times over, but Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson are fucking amazing in this movie. They both deserve all the awards for Robert Pattinson. I cannot believe that he's the guy from Twilight because he is so fucking phenomenal in this movie. Um, and... Yeah, I don't know, this is... I, I could talk forever about this film. I, I absolutely loved it, and I highly recommend that everybody go watch it, because it is so good. What if we all just collectively, as a movie-going, like, culture audience, uh, just forget about Twilight and call him Cedric Diggory? You know, I'm not gonna He's lie... He's the guy from Harry Potter. <laughs> I didn't like Hufflepuff. I didn't like, like that any better. Shut up! You just say that because I'm a Hufflepuff, and you like giving me crap. Oh, I I just didn't like it any better. Like, in my mind, it's still just a prolific fantasy mm -hmm. YA novel. Wait, Harry Potter? No. Well, I mean, yes, but Robert Pattinson is Cedric Diggory. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, I would... Yeah. I hate that it's those two that are attached to his name because one's okay like I didn't mind it one's okay which is Harry Potter and then the other one is being the guy from Twilight like that's it just drags him to such a low level and it prevents him from being seen in things like this where he is an astounding astounding actor yeah, but now he's been I mean he was in High Life this year which was also phenomenal I'm excited um, to see him as Batman yeah he's gonna be yeah. Batman he was in The Rover which is fantastic he was in Good Time which is fucking amazing um, no, yeah, he's he's been in some really, really great stuff, and I can't wait to see what else he does. And I also, I mean, uh, one other thing I just want to say about The Lighthouse is that one of the highlights for anybody who's watched The Witch is, without a doubt, the dialogue and the way that it's written so periodly accurate, um, or accurate for that period. And with The Lighthouse, they do the exact same thing. It's a lot of technical terminology that is very relative to that um, that career and working at a lighthouse, and then it's also just in terms of the time period, very accurate. And oh, well, I cannot wait to watch it again. So that's my number two, Riley. All right, my top film of 2019. I'm sure everyone has already guessed is One Cut of the Dead. <laughs> one Cut of the Dead. Um, like I said, and I agree with Jason in my three top movies, I really, actually, I wouldn't put Captain Marvel any higher than maybe number two. But my top two are interchangeable very easily. But the reason for me why One Cut of the Dead ultimately settles in the number one spot is because every other movie below it I can watch again. Mm -hmm. 
And while the twists and turns, some of the reveals might not be as weighted, they uh, they still have impact and meaning, and I can still watch it. Where this movie, I think we've talked about before, is a movie that you really only watch one time. Mm-hmm. And it's never, ever the same after. And that's why, for me, it's number one, because you re- like having that experience, it's great, and I want everyone to have it, but like I said, you only get it one time. And that's why it's the number one movie of 2019 for me, because it's so impactful in the way that like you only get to watch it once. You only get to experience it one time, and then, yeah, you can watch it again, and I will watch it again, it's great, but it's not in any way the same movie, because you, you just know what happens, you know what it's like, you know all of the background knowledge... That that is necessary to understand the movie, and it's just not it's not the same watching it again. Mm-hmm. This was truly a blind watch for you too, oh, because my you gosh. didn't even. I had no we idea. We just like invited you to yeah. go. You want to go to this movie theater and see this movie? Jason's really excited. I'm like, oh yeah. And then to not only have the experience of 45 minutes in being like, is it done? I just got my sandwich. <laughs> um, <laughs> To learning that all of these nuances and the things that happen at the beginning are a result of something wildly, totally different. Mm -hmm. And, like, there were moments where, especially at the beginning horror part, where I was like, wow, that's such a human reaction to something really traumatic. And it turns out it was just because they were being told to wait. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As actors, I'm like, I can't, like, it's such a firm duality of, like, yes, this was set up in such a way. And it's so not at all what that is without being so wild there's no element of fantasy there's no unexplained cause or ma- it's all just human trial and error trying to make a movie work and it ends up being so incredible it's a movie and a movie and a movie like mm-hmm. it's and that's the insane part is it's like movie inception but done really well <laughs> and while also being one cut but with one shot one shot completely at i that's why this movie is number one for me because Mm -hmm. as much as i love marvel movies and endgame will always be one of my favorites this movie like i said you watch it one time Mm -hmm. and it's never the same Mm -hmm. so that's why one cut of the dead is my it's also easily the most creative movie of the year and definitely one of the most creative films of the decade um it'll be on my uh my decade list for sure yeah i think but yeah especially going in i mean even telling all of you the collective jace to go watch this movie is how much we've talked about it it's still worth watching go watch it (laughs) yeah 100 percent. i'm gonna say again you know there's not really much more i can say about this other than if you haven't seen it you desperately need to see it because it's going to blow your fucking mind yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's incredible Mm -hmm. like i every time that i have an opportunity to show someone it's it happens so yeah all right my this is number one is us big shock um if you can't tell i rave about this movie i love this movie which is funny because the second time i went to go see it i fell asleep part way into it but this movie just like blew my mind blew my mind on such a great level i didn't really like know a ton about it and i loved get out i loved 
you know, as Jordan Peele's entrance to the film world as a director and just how intricate it was and how intense it was and Get Out was like a little bit disappointing for me because I had kind of guessed what was going on um, pretty pretty early on and just because there's a another movie um, that is not totally similar but gave me kind of the same vibes and I was like oh I wonder if it's I wonder if the twist is this and then it ended up being that so but then going back and reading like interviews with him about how like this represents this and this is this and just like how much thought he puts into his films and so then seeing the trailer for a new one and I was just like oh yes this is gonna be so good and it was even better than I imagined it was so scary and it was so intriguing and I could not wait to just like keep watching like as everything went on and well and the big reveal at the end is yeah. incredible oh it's I I never would have guessed I mean I suppose we've probably done an episode so yeah the reveal that the because <laughs> it's weird because they go into the movie talking about this like tunnel system that is basically a labyrinth below our, our our country and just because it's been built that way and then to learn that like your double is there and it's and then there's a, a remark about how you can't copy a soul and just how evil and ruthless and like oh they're just the twins are so great and then to hear her story and I loved how her voice sounded because it made total sense because at first I was like oh and then <laughs> hearing and then the realization that she is a little girl who has been stuck down there while her and, double lives on the surface yeah. which and is that's incredible why, and that's why her, like the her as a little girl couldn't speak because she didn't know how to speak because she was the double and then to and then realizing that this little girl was stuck down there forever and none of them speak so she wouldn't speak so that's why her voice sounded weird because she hasn't used her voice in so long yeah and oh and the children were terrifying and it was just it was so good the other the other thing is that when she's when she and the little girl switch places, she's punched in the throat. And it damages the... <laughs> and it the... damages her vocal cords. How do you know that? Because there was a big controversy because there's people with that <laughs> as a as a, as a a problem in the... Like a traumatic injury in mm -hmm. there. And they were, they were criticizing the film for making it seem scary, which... Um, I don't that know. is scary! I'm sorry, getting punched in the throat and having a... All right, Caitlin calling out the physically disabled. Well, no, I'm just saying that, like, that would be scary as a child to have my voice injured because of being hit. Well, and it's interesting because there are some things that can make it, can have, that can happen where your vocal cords just get damaged in a way that you don't expect. Like, mm -hmm. a little side story. One of the years, one of the athletes that I coached, we ran a drill one night. She had, was kind of sick. Um, and she had asthma. Well, she had not like a full-blown asthma attack, but she needed her inhaler. She needed to step aside for a while. She, the sickness that she had, common cold, nothing unusual. She loses her voice and we think, oh, it'll, it'll come back. It doesn't come back for seven months. 
Whoa. And she had to go to the doctor and have, like, tubes shoved down her throat so they could look, and it turns out that her vocal cords, like, it was just the right combination of stuff that happened that they were damaged. That's terrifying! <laughs> but it's, like, it wasn't any kind of physical, like, trauma. It was sickness plus asthma plus sports. And it was... Yeah. It, but it wasn't anything out unusual but it was a combination of those three things so it like you don't think of how fickle and finicky that sort of thing can yeah. be until it happens so in my mind i understand in the movie like oh you would think a punch to the throat why would that ruin your vocal cords well i know someone who literally just ran a little too hard and she didn't speak very well for seven months yeah so uh, and needed like therapy to get her voice back so mm -hmm. Anyway, so I understand what you mean. And that, for I mean, for her, it wasn't terrifying because she knew she'd get her voice back because yeah. obviously she is not living in an underground maze being held, you know, captured yeah. for fighting for her life. But at the same time, like, it would be scary in an essence to know that, like, your vocal cords could be damaged and you might never talk again. Mm -hmm. Which, not that it's, like, such a hindrance, but if you have it and you lose it, that is a normal human reaction of being scared. Yeah. In my mind. Yep. So, oh, I just love that movie. It was great. Oh, I, so all of Jordan Peele's horror films are so detailed. Which I think I can speak for a layman's person that before these movies, like, I think most people knew him from his sketches on Key and Peele. Mm -hmm. Which, not to say those are bad, I love them. He is a hilarious guy, both of them. Mm -hmm. But, like, to go from something creative in one direction and then. Again, just totally opposite spectrum, and not only be just as good, but I would argue his horror is better than his comedy. Yeah, just a thousandfold, mm -hmm. and it's so and it's so good every time over because he doesn't even follow the same twists and turns mm -hmm. of himself. Like he comes up with new ideas every time. Right. Well, and then to hear him, or to read him be very specific about like there was a lot of. Um, symbolism in this, and there's don't try and look for symbolism. This yeah. is purely a horror movie. Yep. Like it was, it was fun. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie so much. Oh, the scene when is it the mom or the no the twin the twin boy is like walking backwards into the fire, and then oh, yeah. I think the twin mom like steps forward and she's been camouflaged into the car mm -hmm. or the back of the car and then she steps forward like oh creepy it gets me every time it's so good yeah this is fantastic mm -hmm. all right my number one i'm sure you can guess just based on hearing me talk about this film in the past is the irishman <laughs> um what yep, right. i'm so shocked hey i had a really hard time between this and the lighthouse so, uh, The Irishman is on Netflix. I'm honestly not going to spend that much time talking about it because, uh, you should just watch it. It's on Netflix. Most <laughs> people have Netflix. It's three and a half hours long and it is very much worth the watch. Um, <clears throat> I watched it all in one sitting and it did not feel like three and a half hours. I've been watching it in increments and that is still just as rewarding. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the... The de-aging is not distracting to me at all because the the only thing that's weird about it is that you know that that's not what they look like right now. Um, and a lot of people have been saying that 
you know, uh, Joe Pesci steals the show, and he definitely does. I mean, but there's so many great people in this movie. Bobby Cannavale is in this film. Ray Romano is great in this movie. Um, I mean, Al Pacino and De Niro. Harvey Keitel only has a couple scenes, but he's fantastic. Um, and Anna Paquin is in it, and she... I don't even think she has a line until the end. Um, but her, her line made me just ball my eyes out. I was crying the last half hour of this movie. Um, everybody knows what this movie's about. It's about Jimmy Hoffa and Frank Sheehan, or Sheeran, um, who's the guy who claims to have killed Jimmy Hoffa, and how they became friends, and then Frank Sheeran killed Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> and it is a very He's sad... supposedly one of the most prolific hitmen slash serial killers. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's a very that that last half hour is a very rough movie to a rough part to watch, just emotionally. But like they do such a good job uh, bringing you into this world. Um, there's so many random characters in the movie who are based on real people, and it's kind of fun because they do these little clips where it'll be like, oh, this is this guy's name, and this is how he dies, and it's really funny. Uh, I've pointed this out before, but. Uh, most of the people, it's like they're shot in the back of the head, they're shot seven times, they disappeared in the 90s, and then there's one guy who it's like, oh, he just had a heart attack and died. <laughs> <laughs> Natural causes. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's such a great film, and it's so much fun to see. Al Pacino is one of my all-time favorite actors, and I've been really bummed that, you know, in the, in the 2000s he hasn't been able to do as much quality stuff as he did in the earlier half of his career, but... Um, lately, he's been doing more, and this year, I mean, he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is fantastic, um, and then he, he got to be in this, which was just amazing, and yeah, no, I, I loved it. It's somebody who's a who's a huge fan of Martin Scorsese, um, this was just a dream come true. It felt like somebody made a movie for me, <laughs> and I, I absolutely loved it, so... Alright, um, well now that we're at the end, I just quickly want to say that the there were two films that I had a really particularly hard time leaving off my list. Um, those were the documentary Fire, which is also on Netflix, and is about the Fire Festival, and is, have you seen it? I love that. Yeah, no, I do too, and it's, the reason that I love it is because it feels like a character study of a real life, uh, like, villain. <laughs> I was actually just watching, I've discovered a new YouTube channel called Internet Historian, and it's a guy who just does, he he talks about, like, these moments in internet history where something got really big and then just disappeared back into obscurity, and you wonder, hmm, like, what was that? He he did one on the Fire Festival, and I watched it the other day, and it, yeah, that's, that is a great way to put it. It's about watching a bio, like, a real-life uh, telling of how someone got away with something just so like not heinous but no. like I, I don't know if he's quite gotten away with it since he's uh, oh, currently awaiting no. trial no I was going to say but, his uh, his lawsuits would speak to and, and I do just want to say there's two documentaries out there one of them's on Hulu one of them's on Netflix the one on Hulu is called Fire Fraud and it is much more sympathetic to um, Billy the guy that, that that tried and failed horribly to put this together yeah and the uh the, the netflix documentary is much more critical and much more analytical and it's just fantastic the other movie that i had a really hard time leaving off is currently on hulu and it is called the nightingale and it is uh <clears throat> it received a lot of criticism because there are several very graphic and horribly violent 
um, rape and murder scenes in the film, and it is. But at the same time, um, it is a very. It's about colonialism, and it's a very important part of our history, whether or not we like it. And I think that everybody should watch it. Um, and I loved it. It's the follow-up from Jennifer Kent, who previously did The Babadook, which is a phenomenal film. So, that being said, why don't we count off our top tens real quick. Just to recap, Riley, why don't you start with yours? Alright, so number ten was How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Number nine was Men in Black International. Number eight was a tie between Detective Pikachu and Shazam. Number seven was Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Number six was Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Number five was Spider-Man Far From Home. Number four was John Wick 3. Number three was Captain Marvel. Number two was Avengers Endgame. And number one was One Cut of the Dead. All right. Caitlin? Number ten was Shazam. Nine, Endgame. Family was number eight. Blinded by the Light, number seven. Fighting with My Family, number six. Ophelia was number five. Rocket Man was number four. One Cut of the Dead was number three, Bombshell was number two, and Us was number one. All right, and my number ten was The Farewell, my number nine was Us, my number eight was Uncut Gems, my number seven was Honey Boy, my number six was Endgame, my number five was Ready or Not, my number four was One Cut of the Dead, my number three was Parasite, my number two was The Lighthouse, and my number one was The Irishman. All right. I think we are just going to go ahead and call it there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Next week we're going to be doing a Best of the Decade uh, podcast. So you can look forward to that. Um, We've got some other changes that are going to be coming up that we're going to be announcing soon. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out these marvelous films. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. um, Where... We are all constantly saying stuff <laughs> that that you need in your life, especially on the Facebook. We've been having some real fun conversations lately. Um, so, um, hail Satan and watch more movies. Bye. Bye.